Well, it is good to be back in Claxton, Georgia, and uh, I'm in a brand new role, and I work for the uh, Georgia Baptist Mission Board, but we forget what it's called sometimes, too. We've changed that up every once in a while. We used to be known as the Georgia Baptist Convention, and then we had a restructuring under Dr. White where we became the Georgia Baptist Mission Board. Uh, I'm told that after January, we may be called something completely different. So you had it more right than you know. I just want you to know that. So, uh, But uh, I certainly appreciate uh, all of you and what you do for us. It makes a great big difference in the world because when you give through Georgia and through the cooperative program, the interesting thing about that, and I always said this as a pastor, when you give here, the money you give never stops. The sun will never set on what you do because you're a part of something so much bigger than just this church. Uh, The sun will never set on our missionaries. The sun will never set on those that are reaching the unreached places of the continent that you lived on, which, by the way, is quickly becoming the most unreached continent in the world. You have to go to Antarctica to find one that's faster approaching being unreached than ours. You live in a state tonight where there's about seven and a half million lost people. And that paints a pretty difficult scene. So without your giving, we couldn't even be making the effort that we're doing now. And I'm proud of this church, proud of uh, my friendship with your pastor. Uh, Most of the time, I'm proud to introduce him to other people as my friend. Sometimes I'm hesitant about that. And I know that he's not here today, but I wish he was because I'd shout, go dogs, and I'd probably have more company with me if I did that. Amen. Aren't you glad the bulldogs whooped the snot out of them bees last night or whatever they call themselves these days? And uh, I thought it was really interesting that at a technical college of engineers, they couldn't get the sound system to work. And so that makes it really interesting. But uh, I want to just tell you, I appreciate the invite from Brother Matt. Uh, He is a dear friend of mine, and I am always proud to introduce him as my friend, as he is with me. We've had a great camaraderie over the years, and I love this church, love you. And so many of you, we have history together. I think I was pastor emeritus here the whole time that I pastored out in the woods out yonder at Antioch because I had so many relationships with the folks in this church. Y'all had pastors that wouldn't go nowhere. I don't think they was proud of y'all neither. And uh, so I would be the redneck that load up with the other rednecks from this church and we'd go places together. And I had a ball doing that. We've been to men's conferences and all kinds of things and had good times out at the wildlife club. And I, I think about those days with great fondness. And I love this community to this day. My wife was able to teach in the schools and she still enjoys her time there. And we've watched those children somehow get older, even though we stayed the same. And uh, some of them have their own children now. So if you want to feel old, that's a good way to do it. But I love all of you. I've enjoyed the greetings that I've gotten today. And, you know, I've noticed this when you're a visiting pastor that's been around an area for a while and you come back. uh, Everybody treats you like they treat people in the nursing home. They pat you on the arm and say, do you remember who I am? And so I'll tell you, like the nursing home folks say, no, ma'am or no, sir, I don't remember you. But if you'll go down that desk right there, they'll tell you who you are. And that'll be a good way to be reminded there. I want you to, if you will, to take your Bibles this morning. And I don't know why the Lord would have me preach this this morning. Never have preached this uh, as long as I've been working with Georgia Baptist. So it's a brand new message on the uh, circuit. I've got some that I've preached in other places. But certainly this morning, something fresh just really came to, to my heart. And I want to preach through Jonah chapter 3. And so if you'll find yourself there, very familiar story. 
we've, we've almost done this account in God's word down to just that. It's a story. It's a bedtime story in which we make the judgment of God sound like a joke. And we make the account of Jonah sleeping in the belly of a whale something that's almost like a fantasy. But I want to tell you this morning, I believe it really did occur. I believe it happened just the way that God says that it happened and just the way that God's word records it. And I believe it's a story about the intentions of our God beyond man's heart or beyond man's desire to reach the world that is around him. I want to tell you that we live in a world right now that is perishing. And if we don't reach them with the gospel, it'll do just that. Not for a season, but for all eternity, the world we live in will burn and they will burn with it. And they won't go to a place of comfort. They'll go to a place of torment and it'll be forever. And there's no place that you can think of that is bad as a place we call hell. And we believe with all of our heart that Jonah's experience in the belly of that fish, in the belly of what we believe is a whale, that it was just that. It was a literal experience that God turned him away from his rejection and his rebellion and his lack of compassion and made him to experience that type of hell in that place. He brought him to a place of focus and then Jonah prayed a prayer of repentance and the prayer of repentance put him back in the graces of God so that God would use him the way he originally intended to use him. And once Jonah got his heart right, then God began to speak the anointing through him. Now, I will just tell you this. I've been preaching for a long time. I've been a preacher, ordained minister since I was 20 years old. And I want to just tell you this. I can vouch for this. It's not our anointing, it's his anointing. It's not our words, it's his words. It's not our message, it's his message. And if we get in the way of what God wants to do, we're putting ourselves in a very dangerous place as Jonah did. We know the story that he ran from God. He had no compassion for a people that he had no respect for. That he ran and put himself on a boat and endangered everybody around him because of his rebellion and because of his disobedience. And then God created a storm to come against him and all those that were around him so that finally he would be given up to the sea and then God created and prepared a fish. And I'll tell you, God's a great orchestrator, isn't he? And I'll tell you, in your life, if God loves you and pursues you and you belong to him, he will not let you go. He'll do whatever it takes to get your attention. Why? Because God is a good daddy. And all the while that Jonah thought he was running from what God wanted him to do, God was drawing him back into that work. See, God vigorously, lovingly pursues us. And then he spat him out on the beach right on the way to where God wanted to be. I don't th I'm going to tell you this. God doesn't lose any time over our little shenanigans, does he? He puts you right where he wants you to be with the message he wants you to have. And in chapter 3, what we do is we pick up where Jonah finally decided to get obedient. Now, the Bible says this. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter into that city on the first day's walk. And then he cried out and said, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And so the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. 
the word came to the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles saying, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And then God saw their works and that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. Let's pray and we'll preach the sermon. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the truth of it. God, we pray that we would heed your word and understand that you have a purpose for our life. God, you have specific intentions for those that you desire to reach through us. And Father, I pray right now that you would prepare messengers in this very auditorium this morning that they will be those who would submit their lives to be vessels for your glory. God, there's not a soul in this building that doesn't know someone that with all the knowledge they have of them, they know nothing of their relationship with you. God, it may be a family member or a neighbor or somebody very close to us. And the truth is this morning, Lord, we haven't done one thing about that. So I pray you'd burden us even now to place a soul on our heart that we would find compassion for them or a people group or wherever you want to send us and that we would willingly submit to your will to reach them with the gospel that you've given us. Now, Father, I pray you'd let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my God, my rock and my redeemer. It's in Jesus' name which I pray. Amen. As we enter the Christmas season, I want to tell you there's some interesting things that are probably going to happen over the next 30 days of your life. Uh, we've just come through the Black Friday weekend, which I think is kind of hilarious, if you want me to just be honest with you. The fact that people who normally don't get up early and do anything go out and do their very best to get items of consumerism at 5, 3, 2 in the morning, all these kind of things, and they're so excited about the deal that they've got. What's really funny about all that is after Christmas, all that stuff goes on sale, and it's as cheaper, cheaper at the end of this thing than it is on the front end of it. In other words, they're just tricking you to get you in there as fast as they can. And it's amazing how you see people act when they get around that kind of consumerism. You know, Christmas time is a wonderful time of year. But if you stand in the line at the grocery store, it really doesn't seem like that, does it? I watched two ladies fight over a bag of pecans one time. I thought there was going to be bloodshed because it was the last bag of pecans. Apparently somebody needed a pecan pie really bad. And by the way, in case you're grammatically... Uh, Inclined, and you're trying to correct me, it is pronounced pecan. There's no doubt about that. If you came here, you don't leave with anything else. I'm here to set this straight. It is a pecan. That is exactly what it is. It's not a pecan. Pecan is what happens when you're in kindergarten, somebody's picking on you. That's all it is. It's a pecan. I'm passionate about that. But you know, really what we're trying to do is we're trying to create an environment of which we get the social structure taken care of. Appreciate Timmy's song this morning. Really spoke to what I was going to speak to you about. But you know, if, if we could give God what he wants, it would be compassion for the people that he wants to reach. See, this morning, we're all in community. We like our people. I assume you do anyway. 
If you don't like the folks you go to church with, you probably either need to change churches or get your heart right. One of the two. Because if you don't love each other, how in the world are you going to love those that God's calling you to reach? And it's easy for us to have compassion for one another. It's easy for us to like those who are more like us. But, you know, there's a great big world out there that God's calling us to reach. And I want you to understand, he's not calling anything but you to reach that. I, I don't want to get too preachy this morning, but let me just tell you this. God never gave the gospel to the angels. He never gave the gospel to the animals. He never wrote the word of God in the sky. No, he gave the gospel only to those who are blood-bought, born-again, saved Christians. And if we don't preach the gospel, nobody else will. He called you to be a fisher of men. And if you're not fishing, as my buddy Levi Skipper says, you're not following and somewhere along the line, we've gotten all right with the fact that we never share the gospel. We never speak his name until we come in here. And by the way, I'm glad you do speak his name here. I'm glad we sing praises to the Lord. But it does the world that's dying no good whatsoever. Somehow we don't have compassion for those that we feel are perishing. And that was Jonah's problem. Jonah, who God chose to be his vessel, found it not a worthy opportunity for him to go to a people that he didn't like. Now, can I just ask you a question? Don't raise your hand, but let me just ask you a question. Get your thoughts going. Are there some people in this world you don't like? Y'all looking way too spiritual in church. Let me ask you another way. When I say a person you don't like, somebody's name just came to your mind. And you thought to yourself, I don't like that fella. By the time I get through, it may be me, but I'm just trying to get you to start thinking. Y'all thinking with me? Say amen if you don't like somebody. Y'all lying? The other day they were, they were talking about the Atlanta Falcons are liable to get old kneecap to come play for them. I don't like him. Anybody who's going to take a knee during the national anthem, he can stay off over there in California where he might have somebody that thinks like he does. He ain't got no business coming to Georgia. Now I just feel that way. But you know, God loves him. You may be thinking about the leadership. There have been some presidents that had office. And I'll just be honest with you. There's some of them I hadn't liked. Can I get a witness? Amen. Anybody been there? I don't like them, but guess what? God loves them. There's some folks that act a certain way. And I can just make up my mind that I don't like them. Because they are unkind or they don't really suit my fashion. We were playing golf one day. Gang of boys came up behind us. I was with my son who was learning how to play golf. And all of a sudden, the golf ball rolled right between my legs. There's somebody, and I don't know if y'all know anything about golf, but you don't hit into somebody else. And a golf ball came a-rolling through my feet. Now, in all my spiritual wisdom, what I did is I took out a five iron and I sent it right back to him as hard as I could hit. <laughs> and made up my mind. I didn't like him no more. But you know, God loves him. And Jesus died for him. You see, you've got to make up your mind at some point that you have to see the world the way Jesus saw it when he was able to go innocently to a cross and be crucified. Jonah didn't like these folks. No secret about that. God loved them. Jonah had given up all hope that they would ever change from the way they were. God knew that they would. You see, we keep trying to have this argument with God justify the reason why we don't go. We want to say, Lord, we'll follow you, but we're not going fishing today because we don't believe the fish will buy. It's not up to you to decide who you're going to fish and who you're not going to fish. You're to go fishing. 
You remember that day when Jesus was telling that story of them old boys? He said, uh, Peter, how about let's go out here and go fishing? He said, Lord, we fished all night. We didn't catch anything. But I'm going to tell you this. They didn't have the master in the boat. And everything changes when the master gets in the boat. He said, Lord, if you say to, then I will. That's all God's asking you to do this morning. Get to that place where you say, Lord, if you say it, I'll do it. And when you do that, it's unlimited the possibilities that will come to your life. Now, in Jonah's life, it took a lot of coercion. Let me save you some pain. If you want to be in an argument with God, or if you're in an argument with God, why don't you come on back and tell me how that's working for you? I bet it isn't working too good. Now, go back to the text and let me show you what happens with a life when God gets involved in it. It says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. How many of you grew up with parents who wouldn't ask you twice? Can I just see your hand? Tony Rents wouldn't tell you but one time, and then it was going to be bad. Can I see it again if God's ever done that to you? You know, I don't know why we're so hard-headed or why we believe we can win an argument with God. We can't, but God meant business, and I think by then he had shown Jonah exactly how desperately he wanted to get his attention. The word of the Lord came to him the second time saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now, here's what I want you to understand. All of this fuss and all of this resistance had nothing to do, if you want to just be honest with it, it had nothing to do with what God wanted to do. It only had to do with God's rebellious servant. And God went to all that trouble and we call the book Jonah. It really ought to be called Nineveh because God wanted to reach a people. He wasn't necessarily worried about what he's going to do with Jonah. He was worried about what he's going to do with Nineveh. Why? Because those folks in Nineveh were perishing. And here's Jonah. He's in a place where he doesn't want to do what God wants to do. But I want you to notice how God saw them. He said, go to that place, Nineveh, and preach to it the message that I tell you. He calls it that great city. Now, there may be some things that I am a little bit hard-headed about. In my region, I've got a city that uh, I try to go into and get out of just as fast as I can. In the southeast region of Georgia, you have six regions in Georgia. I have the southeast region. The one place I don't like going, of all the places that I've got, is Savannah, Georgia. Can I get a witness? Anybody else like that? Now, Savannah's just different, y'all. It just is. They need subtitles in Savannah, some of them, to figure out what I'm trying to say. It's becoming culturally diverse, too. There's all kinds of folks there. They're quickly becoming multiple tens of languages that are being spoken in the city of Savannah. Very quickly, what we're going to see is we're going to see a, a paradigm shift in that whole area. It's the fastest growing metro area in the United States. I don't know if you know that or not, but the industrial south, if you go from Kingsland, Georgia to about Beaufort, South Carolina, it's one of the fastest growing industrial areas. It's becoming a, a, a really a, a metro area although it's spread out through a large landmass. And that's a great place. That's a huge sum of people and a huge landmass. Now go ahead and just equate that to being Nineveh. We've got Nineveh right here in the southeast region of Georgia. And I want to just tell you this, one of the fastest dying things in that region that I'm speaking of is churches, especially Baptist churches. But here's the thing I want to tell you, God wants to reach that area. And God's wanting to use some people that live in that area, that know that area, to do that very thing. He's not going to do it any other way but through his servants. He calls it a great city. He calls Nineveh a great city. Why? 
Because he realizes how powerful they could be if they would only submit to God. Friend, I want to tell you, Claxton, Georgia is not exempt. How many of y'all believe there's some lost folks in Claxton, Georgia? You see, we may see it as the fruitcake capital of the world or the place where they have Claxton chicken, but I'm telling you, God sees it as a great city. He sees this church as a great place, a great vessel to use to reach the community that's outside. And if we don't do that, we've missed it. Altogether, we've missed it. Now, going down with what he says right here, he says, So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter into the city on the first day's walk. So what we find out secondly is this. When the servant of God finally gets to the place of obedience and he finally goes. Now, I'll just tell you this. A lot of us agree with God that we should go. If I said to you this morning, the Great Commission involves you going, how many of you would raise your hand? Question is, how many of you went last week? How many people did you share the gospel with last week? How many people did you put on your prayer list? And I mean, every morning of your, your week this past week, got on your knees before God and said, God, I, I pray you'd bless, bless my friend because he's lost. Pray you'd bless this lady because she's lost. She's my friend. I went to school with her. Whatever the case may be, maybe a relative of yours, and you went to a gathering this week and there was somebody who was there. And in your mind, you know this. If God were to come back for his church, they wouldn't go with it. Or if they were to die to go meet him, there's a good chance that we wouldn't know where they were going to spend all eternity. And how many of those folks have we prayed with and shared the gospel with and made a priority of the gospel in their life? See, it's one thing to know you should go. It's another thing entirely to actually go. The Bible says that Jonah went. And then finally, what do we do when we get on God's agenda? Well, look at what Jonah begins to do. Three-day journey in extent, and Jonah began to enter to, into the city on the first day's walk. He goes a third of the way into the place that God's called him to. We usually think of something being broadcast in the center of a place. He isn't quite in the center of a place, but rather he goes just the first day's journey, and he preaches a, a mighty message. Now, you'll sit here for the better part of a half hour with me, and I dare say that you won't be nearly as moved by my 30-minute message as they were his 30-second message. And in this 30-second message, I want to tell you what the powerful message of the man of God was. As far as we know, this is verbatim what Jonah went and preached. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says that the word of God came through Jonah, and this is what he said. He cries out and says, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now, if I ask you to rehearse that sentence, most of you by the end of this message will be able to tell me that yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. That's the extent, that's the theological largeness of that message. And yet it changed the lives of so many people. They took him serious. You say, well, I don't know what's so special about that message. Picture this. Here's a man that's just come out of the belly of a fish. Anybody in here ever cleaned fish before? How many of y'all want fish guts in the bed with you? He'd been sleeping in the belly of a whale, suffering. 
The Bible says that he went down to Sheol in there. In other words, that experience was a literal hell on earth. He just come through that. He just seen the power of God. He didn't know whether he's going to live or whether he's going to die. And God gave him a second chance. You ever seen someone who almost died, went through a bad experience, got sick, been through cancer? You ever seen how different their life is after that? And when they speak, don't we tend to listen to them more than anybody else? When somebody's got a real testimony, we tend to perk up and we tend to pay attention. Why? Because we know they've seen it all. And if they're convinced of something, that's the time that you really do inventory. And here is Jonah doing inventory in the belly of a whale. And finally, he cries out to the Lord. And don't you just listen to a couple of things that he says right here. He says, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol, that's hell, that's the holding place of the dead. I cried and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves, they passed over me. And I said, I've been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. The waters surrounded me, even in my soul, the deep flows around me. I want to tell you, Jonah's living in the place where God says, this is what it's like without my presence. He come to a place where no fellowship was possible with God. He was in disobedience. He turned his heart toward other things. His own selfishness had led him to lose compassion for those that God loves. And because of that, he had no peace in his life. The Bible says, weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought me up. My life from the pit. Oh, Lord, my God, when my soul fainted within me, listen to this statement, boy, I love this. I remembered the Lord. I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. I want to just stop right there at verse seven. How many of y'all have children in this room? Can I see your hand? You know, there's two kind of cries that a child makes. First one, I just call a whine. Every once in a while, you'll get a kid, they just whine about something. Can y'all can y'all remember the whiny days? And they're upset. Oh, I dropped my cracker. She took something that belongs to me. So-and-so didn't invite me to their party. That's just whining. Now, let's be honest with you. As a daddy, I don't care if they whine. They're going to get over it. I'm going to beat their tail. That's just how that's going to be. You'll be sitting there, paying attention, doing something, and all of a sudden you hear that whining start. The sound of two children fighting. And they've always got a reason why they're fighting, and it's very serious to them. They come and try to explain it to me in a very logical way. We have educated kids at our house. They try to make their case very well. I think some of them are going to grow up to be lawyers if we're not careful. They state their case, but daddy, this is what happened. But no, you don't understand. That's what she's telling you, but this is what really happened. I come up with a very diplomatic solution to that. If y'all don't get out of my face, I'm going to beat both of y'all. That's exactly what I tell them when they're whining. But I'm going to just tell you, those same children, there's a scream. 
And if I hear that scream, there's not a man in this room that can stop me from getting to my child. Now that's a cry. You see, God will do whatever it takes to get us to the point to where we cry out for Him. All that other stuff doesn't get His attention, but now that cry will. And over and over and over again in Scripture, it confirms that. That when the people of God get desperate for God and they cry out to Him, then and only then will God move from His throne and go to where they are. And Jonah says once again, he says, When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord and my prayer went up to you into your holy temple. He says earlier, Out of the, the belly of hell I cried and you heard me. Those who regard worthless idols forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving. That's that thing we just celebrated. I will pay what I vow. Salvation is of the Lord. Would you say that one time with me this morning? Salvation is of the Lord. And it is. And it's his salvation. It's his. I don't mind you saying it's yours. Because it is, I've got my salvation. But salvation belongs to the Lord. He gave it to me through grace. He afforded me that salvation through the cross. And I can only claim that because it's His salvation. If it was mine, I'd mess it up. But because it's His, it's a different kind of salvation. It's not a think-so salvation. It's a no-so salvation. I've told people several times I couldn't go to hell if I wanted to. Why? Because He's got me in the palm of His hand. So the Lord spoke to the fish. What happened? He was immediately released. Now go back down here where this message comes in one more time. And Jonah cries out not to the Lord, but for the Lord. You see, when we cry out for him, there's power in that. When we cry out to him, there's power in that. And the response is not up to us. I want to just tell you this. You need to get to the place where you're comfortable with this. If you're listening, say amen. I want to be obedient to God and leave the results to Him. I, I got to get to that place where it's not personal to me. It's about what He wants and what He wants to do. Now, my heart breaks for people all the time. I have a great desire to see people saved. I want to leave this world knowing I made a difference and I preached the Bible with every fiber of my being. But I'm going to tell you this, I'm smart enough to understand. If I'm obedient, then I can trust God with the results. Sometimes you're not following, you're not fishing, you're not witnessing because you say, well, I did that and it didn't work. Hey, listen, if it didn't work, it ain't your fault. Go back. Were you obedient? Did you preach the gospel? Only one I know. Jesus saves. Yes, he does. He died for you. The Bible says if you'll confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus Christ, that God let him live, die, and rise again for you, you'll be saved. Gospel's simple. Leave the results to him. He can handle it. But you see, that day, as he cries out for the Lord, after crying out to the Lord, this is what the Bible says. So the people of Nineveh believed God. How about that? Do y'all know that still happens? Y'all got to wake up. Buzzards are going to start circling this place. I'm glad there's a roof on here. Friend, I'm here to tell you, Jesus saves. Yes, he does. Amen. That little baby we're celebrating 
in a manger. He didn't stay that way. No, he grew to be a man and he got on an old rugged cross and he died for the world. And when he died, because of his eternal sacrifice, what he did in death gave me life and I can never die because he lives. Aren't you thankful this morning that Jesus Christ lives? The Bible says he ever lives to intercede for you and for me. Because he lives, I can never die. Why? Because I know him. The Bible makes it clear. Salvation of the Lord. It still works. We've gotten to the place where we've decided who can be saved and who can't. We look at someone and say, well, that's an impossible situation. No, it's not. Listen, I'm going to just tell you this. Some of the worst men that lived in this county while I was here as pastor, I saw them come to salvation in Jesus Christ. Not because of anything I did, because of what he did. But I'm going to tell you this, when I was witnessing to him, I had to believe they was going to be saved. Or I wouldn't have bothered to witness to him. I can look around this room, and y'all, I, some of y'all I know not only what God's made of you, I know what you were before he got a hold of you. They some walking miracles in this room. God's done a work in your life. Some of them the Lord even... Let you get ordained, which is kind of hard to believe, but I mean, whatever he wants to do. Listen, I'm just going to tell you this. There ain't nobody God can't save. The people of Nineveh believed, and then notice what happened. They began to repent in their life. Man, wouldn't it be great to see Georgia repent? Man, it'd be great one day to see revival sweep across Georgia, wouldn't it? I tell you what, Atlanta, Georgia would be void of the strip bars when people get saved. All the liquor stores are closed down. You can say what you want to about alcohol. Let me tell you this. It's a poison. All the drug dealers will be out of business. You know how to end the drug problem, don't you? Quit having drug addicts and you won't have a drug problem anymore. The pimps wouldn't know what to do in the state of Georgia. By the way, we lead the world in human trafficking. We wouldn't have teachers calling home and trying to say, we don't know what to do with your child if revival swept through Georgia. We'd have schools where kids would get educated. We'd have communities where nobody got shot. Nobody had to die. Nobody was strung out on drugs. If we'd see revival happen, we wouldn't see divorce anymore. We wouldn't see one man trying to go with another man or one girl trying to go with another girl or one it trying to go with another it. We'd finally get marriage right in the state of Georgia. But we sit back and curse the culture rather than understand that we've been commanded to go and preach the gospel. See, it's easy to get amens when you curse the culture. It's another thing when you curse the church for not changing the culture. Everybody backs up and said, hold on now, brother. You was doing good till right then. Jonah wasn't a great preacher. He just had the right message. He had the conviction of that message in his heart before he ever preached it. He had found compassion where he didn't have it before. He preached an awesome, sentence-long message that changed the life of those that were the recipients. Notice what happened. The king got up. Boy, I tell you what, if the leadership of America would change, I believe it'd have a big impact on the people in it, don't you? If you don't pray for your president to be saved, you ought to, no matter who's in there. Whether you like him or not, doesn't matter to me. He calls to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Don't let them eat or drink water. 
But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. For who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? You know, I'm just tell you this. We've got a we've got a culture of people who don't believe God is who he is. Who don't believe God can do what he what he's spoken of to do in this book. But these people were convinced of it that day. You see, we've lost all reverence, all fear, all respect for God. But when it returns, it's a a quick fear that comes upon the people. And I don't mean like being scared of God, even though that's that's a part of it. But I mean just having the respect to realize, to realize, to recognize. And it has to happen at the church first. We've been living at a guilty distance from God. And we need to get it right. And if we'll get it right, then those that we preach the message to, you know what they'll do? They'll get it right. Whose example do you think they're going to follow? Well, they're going to follow the example of the man of God, the woman of God, the church of God. We've got to set a good example for them. King knew what to do. The Bible says, then God saw their works. Can I just ask you all a question? Everybody look right here for a second. If God changed his mind about destroying a culture that was wicked because he saw their works, what do you think he'll do for a church that finally gets right with him and their works start looking like the work of the church? See, the problem I'm convinced that we've got is sometimes we've got a church, but the Spirit of God has long since walked out the door and he won't come back till we get right. We can conjure up the best worship. We can preach the greatest sermons. We can fill the church with the best people. Until our heart gets right before God and we get on his agenda and not our agenda. He'll not bless it. He saw their works. And then notice what it says. And that they turned from their evil way and God relented from disaster, from the disaster that he said he would bring upon them. And he did not. Do it. Can I just give you a quick summary of that? They were saved. They were saved. Now, friend, I want to just tell you something. Beginning of this holiday season to celebrate the coming of the Savior. I want to ask you a couple of questions. First of all, who have you given up on? That your thought may be they won't be saved or they can't be saved. It could be a parent. It could be a child that's gone out of the way. You may be thinking, boy, we did everything we knew how to do, and they still turned out that way. It can be someone that's dear to you, a friend, a neighbor, a loved one, somebody you work with, somebody you went to school with, somebody you know distantly, somebody you just met last week, and your thought may be by their actions, there's no hope for them in God. Yes, there is. His name is Jesus, and he can save anybody. He can save the worst sinner you know. You know how I know that? Because he did in my life. I'm the worst sinner I know, and he sure saved me. Amen. If he'll save me, he'll save anybody. Because I know what he had to get over to save this old redneck, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you. He knew everything I would do, and he still saved me. Who is it that you want him to save? Who is it that you're crying out to him saying, Lord, pray you'd save them? That's on your heart this morning. Here's, here's what I'd have you to do. First of all, I don't think there's any doubt about it. God's called you to preach a message. Doesn't have to be difficult. How do you do that? 
You just tell somebody what Jesus has done for you. Has Jesus done anything for anybody in this room? Can I just see him if the Lord's done something for you? You know, maybe y'all need to be a little more excited than that. Would you say amen if Jesus has done something for you? Amen. You think you could tell somebody about that? You think you can tell somebody about that? I, I mean, I used to lead these little eight and nine year old kids and they'd sit right here. They'd come to the pastor's office and they'd sit on my knee and, and, and we'd go through the plan of salvation together. And our last old boy I had in my office, he's about nine years old. And I said, why don't we come over here and pray together? He sat right here on pastor's knee. Mom and dad was in the chair right here and we all held hands together. We prayed that prayer. Not just because it was the sinner's prayer, but because I believe this young man meant it from his heart. And I'll never forget, I looked at him, we got through. I picked him up, turned him around. I said, now son, I'm going to tell you what, I believe you meant what you said, that God just saved you. He said, yes, sir. I meant it with all my heart. Tears still going. Now, you know, you don't have to cry to get saved, but I sure do like it when they do. Amen. Mom and daddy's right there. I said, I know mom and daddy's proud of you. Pastor's proud of you. Now, who's the first person you'd like to tell? You got saved. Later down the, the hall, Miss Catherine Griffin, Sunday school teacher, lovely lady. He said, I want to tell Miss Catherine. She taught me in Sunday school, prayed for us every Sunday morning that we would know the Lord and be saved. And she was there that day. I said, well, let's go right there. As soon as that nine-year-old boy got saved, the first thing he did is went down the hall and told somebody about it. What's wrong with us when we don't do that? Or maybe we've got no. Who do you know that you need to tell about what's happening in your life? I'd hate to get to heaven and say, Lord, I never, I never led anybody to the Lord. I'd hate that. That would trouble me desperately. I'd hate as a pastor to get to the place where we had to report baptism and put zero down. I've never done it. Somebody always got saved. You know why? Because we kept preaching the gospel. I didn't save them, the Lord saved them. But it just kind of goes hand in hand when you preach the gospel. Somebody's going to get saved. When you tell somebody the gospel, they're going to get saved. So let me just ask you a question just to wind things down this morning. Who in your life do you know? You know several people. The first one that comes to your mind that you believe with all your heart if they died right now, they wouldn't go to heaven. Somebody you can get to now. Don't pick a celebrity. Don't pick that person you don't like that was the first person you thought of. No, I'm telling you, would you open your heart this morning and say, God, give me compassion for and let him lay a name in the basket. And just now I'm going to ask you to bow your head right where you are. And with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you've got your name, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you slip your hand up? Say, Eric, God just put somebody on my heart. I've got their name right now. It could be somebody very dear to you. That's what I'm going to ask you to do. Would you get, begin to pray for them right now? Would you say, Lord, I pray for and put their name in there. I mean, call them out by name. Cry out this morning now. And I pray you do whatever you have to do in my life to get me, your servant, to the place of obedience. Just remember, we just heard about a story where God literally took him down to hell and brought him back just to get him in the right place. I'd have it that you'd say, Lord, it ain't going to take that from me now. And then let me be your servant.
Let me be one that'll go tell. And let me trust you with the results. You're not responsible for saving anybody. But he can do it. But he will not do it absent of a vessel to use. It's not your anointing, it's his anointing. It's not your message, it's his message. What's your part? Cry out to him, be faithful, and then cry out to them. God will do the rest. And if you're serious this morning, would you be willing to come from where you are to this altar as soon as we begin to sing and let God do work in this place today? Believe it changed the nature of your life if you got on His agenda. Furthermore, there may be others this morning. You'd say, Eric, that's me. I've been down to hell and back because I'm running from God. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm in a place of disobedience. And I want to get on God's agenda. And this morning, you'd be willing to come to this altar and say, Lord, as we saw to sing, I, I just surrender all. I throw my hands up. I'm willing to let you be the God of my life. Let you take control of this vessel. You may be far from him. I want to just tell you, God's clever. He'll make it a short trip home this morning. Get right back where he wants you to be. Could be you've got a need in your life. Boy, around this time, there's so many needs. I find people struggle in relationships. They struggle with the past. They struggle with compassion. They struggle with peace more than any other time because it just reminds us. Might be grief in your life, whatever it is. I just pray if God's just, if he's got something on your heart, it may have nothing to do with what I've just preached. But if you want to leave here set free, you run to this altar as soon as we begin this morning. Whatever God wants to do, would you give him the power to do it in your life this morning? Father, in the name of Jesus, would you have your way in this place? that we would leave here fully committed to you with joy in our heart for what you're going to do. Not only in our life, but for those we're praying for. I pray right now without even picking a head up. If there's a burden in this place, people just begin to step out right now and pray for someone they love. Pray for someone they don't want to see good. They may have begged you many times, but this morning I'm asking they just come beg you one more time. It could be a decision needs to be made. God, if you want to do that, let not one man stand in the way of that. Or let us be determined to come and do what you brought us here to do today. We're not here by accident. We're here by divine appointment. And whatever it takes for someone to leave in peace, I pray they do it. Just now, in this moment, we ask it in the sweet name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. And all God's children said, Amen. Would you stand to your feet as we sing together? God's speaking to you. You come just now. Come pray for someone. Isn't he? Isn't he?